Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Room on YesFM 100.3, your community radio station. You're with Kath Kovac in the Women's Room this afternoon. And with me in the Women's Room today, I am talking to Jess Van Groningen, who's from the Goulburn region. Um, Jess, I have met about a year ago, and she's a really interesting and lovely person that I thought it would be nice to talk to on the radio. So thanks for coming along, Jess. How are you today? Thanks for having me, Kath. Yeah, I'm feeling really good. Excited to be chatting to you this afternoon. Awesome. Um, so, Jess, I'll just give a little bit of a brief um, introduction to you, to the people listening on SFM this afternoon. So, Jess is the founder of um, a group which she calls Girl Tribe Goulburn and also of another um group or organisation called Wild Nature Connection, which I love the sound of that, so we'll have to talk about that. So Jess facilitates wellbeing programs and events and provides one-to-one sessions for kids and teenagers and women uh, in her local area around the Goulburn area using the help of the land and the animals that she lives with. So Jess has a great love of animals. Um, As well as that, she has a background in early childhood education, animal behaviour, training and vet nursing, and she works as a vet nurse currently. And She's also quite clearly a lover of uh, doing training (laughs) because she tells me she's recently completed training in youth mentoring, in holistic counselling, in psychotherapy, in ecotherapy and animal-assisted therapy, all of which makes me feel completely exhausted (laughs) reading that list. So, Jess, you're clearly a very busy person. Jess, let's just start off with our conversation and I can see that a lot of your work is to do with animals, clearly. So tell me just... Uh, where did your love of animals actually begin? Uh, well, it probably started in my early childhood. We lived on a farm um, out in Casino um, in regional New South Wales for part of my childhood. So I was surrounded by chickens and farm animals and um, I think I sat on my first horse then. Um, and... Yeah, and then coming into my childhood, horses played a huge part. Um, I learned how to ride and then had my own horse and spent every day after school or weekends um, being with my horses. And, yeah, and then later got um, a dog and that took me on a whole another tangent. And, um, yeah, but so animals have always been a huge part of my life. <laughs> So what kind of dog did you have as a child? Um, Well, the family dog growing up was a Cocker Spaniel. Um, And then my very first dog uh, was a German Shorthead Pointer, of which I still have um, have one of those breeds with me um, these days um, and always will, I think. (laughs) They hold a special place in my heart. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Well, I've seen your dog and and he's very lovely. We had a Cocker Spaniel... Uh, as well when I was a child and sadly I don't remember it I have photos of myself with it um, because I was quite young and it was stolen out of our backyard where we lived in Albury and uh, I know and I think it was the only sort of after that we sort of just had a variety of of mutts and things (laughs) and um, because I imagine this was in the 1970s and it would have been I mean I know they're crazily expensive now dogs but even then I'm presuming you know it still would have been expensive so yeah that was apparently a big upset that I'm not yeah I was too young to remember but um they do they do seem like really beautiful dogs and I've always thought that I would like another one one day (laughs) yeah yeah they are pretty pretty lovely and um 
yeah, I certainly have fond memories. Um, Cindy Lou was her name <laughs> growing up. Oh, I and, think mine um, was called Goldie. <laughs> Goldie, <think>. yeah. <laughs> Cindy Lou, yep. that's really cute too. Probably reminiscent of Brady Bunch or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's cool. And so then you continued on like um, your love of horses and animals, obviously after you finished school and then left, um, if you left home presumably? Well, I did move over and lived in Indonesia in Jakarta for about four or five years after school. So that <laughs> that took me away from animals and all things nature, really, because I was in a big, uh, busy city. Um, and, yeah, I actually sort of for the first... Um, and then moved back to Sydney and um, for the first time in my life, yeah, had been totally removed from nature and animals and it had really negative um, impact on my mental health and well-being and um, I um, suffered from anxiety and panic attacks and it sort of caught me out of the blue. I had no idea what was going on. Um, But when I started reconnecting with nature and um, horses came back into my life and then I got my own dog, um, this was in my of mid to late 20s Um, and then yeah I was just able to um, get my well-being back on track and just had such a positive impact on me Um, and since then yeah I've always um, had a horse and a dog and now I have multiple in my life now Um, so yeah I moved to Goulburn about um, 10 years ago now and have been on this property um with surrounded by um the animals we have here um for yeah 10 years now so um so uh, privileged and grateful to to have that in my life mm. and so that sounds like a massive change yeah from the little town area of casino up in northern new south wales over to indonesia in a big city what what took you there Yeah, there was a few, uh, well, quite a few steps in between that, I guess. Um, Yeah, most of my childhood after casino was um, growing up on the central coast in a little area called Pearl Beach. That was a pretty wild childhood, just um, playing on the beach and in the the caves and up in the waterfall and the bush with my friend Sophie. We'd be gone in the morning and home at dark. But, yeah, then my father actually, um, his job at the time, he was managing hospitals and that's what took us over to Jakarta um, originally. So he was managing some hospitals over there and I went to school over there in year 11. Um, Yeah, and then we got called back to Australia a bit earlier than his contract was expected to be um, and I wasn't quite done with my time in Indonesia so I went back over there myself for um, three or four years Um, and that's where I got into teaching actually and learnt the language and um, lived like a local really for for Mm. three or four years quite the contrast from being an expat over there (laughs) yeah uh living and working with the people in the country always gives you such well not that i've done it but i imagine that it gives you such a a different insight into the actual country than being a tourist you only ever get a very limited kind Mm. of level don't you 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't until I was living with a, a local Indonesian family and working in a National Plus school, which is like a mix of the national curriculum and an international curriculum, so it was bilingual. Um, yeah, that's when I really was able to immerse in the culture and have a totally different experience, like you said. Mm. So what's the one of your favourite memories of that time in Indonesia when you were doing that? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Yeah, it was more sort of just the day-to-day immersion in in life over there. Um, it was so different to how I'd grown up um, and I really just couldn't get enough of um, everything about it. Um, so whether it was, um, oh, I don't know, I think the call to prayer of a morning because it's a, a predominantly Muslim island and city, Jakarta itself. So that was sometimes um, a little early of a morning. It's like, yeah, 5 a.m. or something like that. But, yeah, just the call to prayer through the day and um, the busyness of the city and um, different cultural practices and celebrations. Um, yeah, and the people themselves. Um, yeah, that's what what my fondest memories are. Mm, yeah. So it sounds like you had a wonderful time, yet you still clearly missed your animals very, very much. Um, mm. When your family went to Jakarta, did you have to... What happened? Did you have to sort of sell animals or leave them with someone or what happened to them while you were away? Um, yeah, well, by that stage, um, yeah, I only had the family dog, so Cindy was still a- around then. Um, so, And my mum and dad had um, been divor- divorced for maybe... Oh, maybe eight years or something by that stage and so Cindy was with mum um, and my dad and his wife had a couple of dogs at the time and yeah they got looked after by other family members while we went away mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's a big thing so um, I'm, I mean I'm guessing partly the the impact on the mental health and everything you were saying from not being in nature, not having the animals, but also compounded by being in, you know, a big city and um, all that kind of thing of being away uh, as well, I assume. Yeah, it's sort of um, like I didn't experience it so much when I was over in Jakarta, although after the five years I felt like it was time to come home and, um, yeah, really wanted to return to Australia and... Um, reconnect with with family and things over here Um, so yeah like you said I think it was like an accumulative effect of first being disconnected from from nature and the animals um, and being in that city environment when I came back I was again living in Sydney um, and yeah I was working uh, I think I was directing a childcare centre at the time and so it was pretty busy and stressful and, um, yeah, just um, got got the better of me. I think it was my body or my, my nervous system saying, hey, enough's enough. <laughs> just um, you need to learn how to, to regulate and slow down and look after yourself. And um, I'm just thankful that when I started experiencing these panic attacks, um, 
which I just, my rational mind just couldn't wrap its head around, like, what's going on with me. I was um, fortunate enough to have a psychologist that um, steered me in the direction of, um, like, yoga and meditation and um, helped me with some cognitive behavioural therapy and um, that as well as some changes in my lifestyle moving away from Sydney um, yeah it just turned everything around for me and I could just manage um, manage the anxiety and and stress a lot a lot better mm, that's that's great did you, so did that experience in some way lead you to your interest in uh, psychotherapy and the other kind of therapies that you've been yeah. studying <laughs> that's also a good question not not exactly I think for me, it was just um, doing what I needed to do to look after myself at the time and be able to um, cope with life and, um, yeah, get on with life. Um, it wasn't until probably, yeah, nearly 10 years later, I think, that um, I, yeah, thought I would go and explore. I'd always found myself in roles of, sort of helping or mentoring other people and so it was something that interested me anyway um, and then yeah I just looked at doing some further training and that's when I got into the holistic counselling course which then led me into doing um, some training in the psychotherapy and gestalt psychotherapy itself um, yeah <laughs> mm. Um, so on Yas FM, you're with Kath in the Wind's Room. I'm talking with Jess Van Groningen from Goulburn, uh, an animal lover, <laughs> definitely, and a multimodal therapist by the sound of it. So one of the things that you said you worked in was ecotherapy, Jess. So I haven't actually come across that word before. So can you tell us a bit about ecotherapy and what you do with it? Yeah, sure. Um I guess it's just, um, like you said, there's so many modalities and um, from my own personal and professional experience, I just try to weave all those offerings together as best I can. Um, the eco-therapy, um, everybody ha probably has their own definition of it, um, but um, for me it's... Um, getting away from those traditional talk therapies that are room-based, um, getting outside in nature um, and being able to facilitate people's connection with the natural world, which can open up this whole other dialogue um, around, you know, what might be important to them, challenges that they're facing, um, be able to support them where they're at um, within that natural setting, um, yeah. <laughs> so do you find that people, or do you think that people would be naturally more, I guess, relaxed and open in that outdoor environment than sitting in a room, which I know can be quite confronting, I suppose? Yeah, I guess it can really go either way, to be quite honest. Um, like being out in nature... Um, can be quite triggering for some people and that's why it's really important um, you know if I'm engaging with a client to start with that I go through a, a thorough sort of intake um, with them and just make sure that 
that they're going to feel safe and regulated in that outdoor setting. Um, and yes, yeah, for others, um, they just thrive um, when they're outdoors. And um, yeah, there can be this where some people find it maybe difficult to connect with other humans or there might be some challenges or past trauma in relationship with humans opening up um, their connection and relationship either to the natural world or with animals um, can be a much safer way for them to explore um, themselves in relationship um, without necessarily having a human there as part of it. Um, yeah, my role there is to, to facilitate and to walk alongside the client. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And um, so you also do what you describe as animal-assisted therapy, which, so I suppose that's kind of, would that be like a form of ecotherapy or is it another kettle of fish altogether? Yeah, um, and I guess like this whole industry is unregulated in Australia. So, um, yeah, it's really important for anyone to to do their own research into anyone that's offering these modalities and make sure that it's a right fit for them. Um, but certainly, um, like I've just finished my training with the Equine Psychotherapy Institute that's based in Australia. Um, and yeah, we've got certain ethics that we abide by um, and nature can form a part of that work that we do with the animals. Um, so it could it could still be room based. So um, you know, for example, my work at the vet, um, I could be work um, in Crookwell. I could be working in um, one of the spaces there with the clinic cat Kevin. That could be a possibility, um, or I could be room based with Ned, one of my dogs, um, or yeah, we could be outside nature's incorporated while we're outside but working with the horses or I've got deer on my property um, or chickens or any of the um, wild birds that are around as well so it's um, yeah it can be pretty diverse <laughs> which I think is beautiful for meeting um, the individual's needs because we're all so diverse so um really it's limitless the possibilities of it mm. so you actually I, I realized that you were a vet nurse at Crookwell but said so you actually do some of the animal therapy or animal assisted therapy then while you're actually at the vets as well do you um so it's been incidental up until now um yeah quite often um you know if clients are coming in and it could be that they need to um look at putting their animal to sleep or um, maybe they've been diagnosed with um, with a particular condition and, yeah, clients might just need some extra support at that time. So um, I'm quite uh, sort of honoured and feel privileged to, to be there and able to support people when they need it most. Um, and, it, yeah, it can be an incidental thing. Um, we had a gentleman in the other week whose dog unfortunately was bitten by a snake and you know it's a really traumatic time for that client at that moment and so I can put my skills um, to use there and support support the client where they're at as well um, 
yeah, rather than a formal sort of animal-assisted personal development session or anything. Um, but that's how how I tend to work while I'm in my role at mm. Football Vet. Mm, yeah. that's that's really beautiful so the i love the sound of the clinic cat called kevin so yeah. <laughs> what what does kevin do do people just sit and cuddle him or is there more to it than that yeah well um it's really quite interesting kevin's um pretty i think intuitive himself um it's it's he does often if a client's sitting in the waiting room perhaps their animals had to go out into the treatment area and the vets and nurses are working with them he might walk up to that that person and some he's been known to jump on their lap and curl up on their lap um or even sometimes he'll engage with the other animals um yeah at different at different times and in different ways um but yeah, people love Kevin, and um, yeah, are always pretty happy to give him a pad, or um, yeah, pretty happy to see him there. <laughs> does Kevin actually live there, or does someone take him home every day? Yeah, it's um, changed over the last couple of years. He used to just live at the hospital, um, but uh, there is someone now that um, takes him home of a night. He's got a little backpack that he travels in, actually. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't live very far away, so he um, he travels in the backpack, walking up to to their house, and um, yeah, spends the weekends and stuff with with her as well. So um, I think he's really happy about that. <laughs> he seems he seems happy about it anyway. <laughs> That's really cute. Um, yeah, I did. I travelled in Europe recently, and we did see a, a kid getting off the train somewhere, Germany, I think, and. He had a backpack that was clear plastic sort of on the back with a little hole for yeah. this cat to sit in with its head sticking yep. out the hole. I thought yep. it was <laughs> the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And the cat yeah, seemed quite, funny. quite... Kevin um, doesn't have the bubble, but he's got some mesh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, super cute. And, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, how how much better that you, you make can make someone feel you know literally having a cat jump on their lap just for a pat i mean just a very brief example myself today i was in in yas by the river park and um i was actually just sort of having a little snooze in my car and then i thought oh i should go for a walk and i got out to go for a walk and less than one minute later this little jack russell dog just ran up to me Mm -hmm. and i couldn't find the owner anywhere he didn't have a tag and um so i ended up taking him to the yas vets and mm-hmm. to see if they could find his microchip. but And this is a community service announcement as well to everyone in Yas. Please get your dog or cat's microchip information checked because although this dog had a microchip, it didn't actually come up. They couldn't find the information of the owner. Mm. And I did find the owner thanks to, uh, you know, Facebook, Lost and Bound. Um, yeah. But my point is that I was sitting in the vet and... You know, I wasn't feeling sort of 100% um, mentally myself and, and just sitting and, and with this dog. Uh, very cute and quiet and just sitting on my lap and just patting him for about 20 minutes while I sort of figured out what to do. It's mm. so calming, isn't it, just having that presence of a, of a calm dog. I can't say that my dog does that that great because she's a bit crazy, but <laughs> this little one was a bit older. And it was, and he didn't know me from a bar of soap, but he just was really nice just sitting there on, um, on my lap. And, yeah, very calming, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty incredible, um sort of witnessing what can happen for for people when they engage with different animals um 
yeah, I just, I love that. It's pretty um, magical. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're amazing, aren't they, animals? So... Uh, on the SFM, I'm talking with Jess, if you've just tuned in, from Goulburn, who uh, works a lot with animals and does a lot of different therapies. And also, though, Jess does uh, another completely uh, separate thing, running a group called Girl Tribe Goulburn, which works with um, younger girls up to teenage, I think. So, Jess, can you tell us a bit about um, what Girl Tribe Goulburn is and what you do there? Yeah, sure. Um so Girl Tribe Goulburn, um, yeah, was something that I founded for probably just at the start of COVID, actually. So a couple of years ago, um, yeah, it was quite random. I was just um, cleaning my house one day and just working out, um, or sometimes ideas come to me when I'm when I'm vacuuming or picking up poo in the paddock or something <laughs> random like that. And <laughs> this particular day I thought, oh, I could maybe put something together um, for the young girls um, in my local community, just um, a way of giving back um, and also teaching them or equipping them with some of the skills that I had learnt later in life and I just thought, wow, wouldn't that be incredible if I knew um, then what I knew now and if I could, um, yeah, pass that on to the next generation and, and empower them and give them some different skills, life skills, then um, that would be pretty cool, I thought. So um, I started just with a pilot program at Golden East Public School with a the year um, five girls at the time um, and we would get together once a week um, for an hour um, and we'd sit in circle and it really turned into an opportunity for the girls just to to check in um, share whatever was going on for them at the time um, with each other and with an adult that wasn't a parent or a teacher um, and we'd incorporate some, um, maybe some craft practices as well to keep the hands busy while they chatted away. Um, yeah, and it just um, evolved from there. I started doing some holiday workshops um, and collaborations as well with um, Headspace Goulburn, um, Goulburn Regional Art Gallery, Goulburn Library. Um, and then continued the school program to um, and was working in Goulburn South Public School as well. Um, yeah, so it was pretty, um, pretty amazing uh, the connections made both between the girls and with the girls and myself too. Um, yeah, pretty special. That's mm, a beautiful thing. So what kind of... Uh, life skills for example were you um, hoping to teach the girls that you'd only come at later yeah um, well and I guess this sort of evolved to just depending on what was coming up for the girls within um, within the time that we met as well so there were um, you know friendship issues that might come up that we would then um, workshop through ideas together um, and also um, sort of communication as a whole, um, how to communicate effectively. Um, 
the ability to um, identify and be with different emotions as they presented, um, getting to know themselves and um, becoming confident in who they are, what they valued, um, yeah, what was important to them, um, what I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> mm. And yeah. um, then... Do you found the schools obviously quite open to this idea? Because it sounds like something that is quite unusual in the school setting. Yeah. Sorry, Kath, did you say were the schools open to it? Yeah, because it sounds something yeah. a little bit um, uh, unusual in the school setting, uh, that kind of yeah. thing with um, sitting in yeah. a circle and uh, something that I guess, you know, is... Uh, kind of off curriculum, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. and, and well, how to fit in. So how did the, it fit um, in? Yeah, it can work in beautifully with the the school curriculum um, in that sort of wellbeing space. Um, and yeah, I was just really lucky that I had um, a principal and teachers that were really supportive of it and could see the positive impact it was having on the girls. Um, so. Um, yeah, they just um, said things like um, how much better they were getting along with each other, um, how much more sort of regulated they were. This was one of the teachers talking. <laughs> um, and the girls themselves feeling like they had... feeling safe and like they had been heard. Um, that was something one of the girls mentioned. Um, and I think... Um, yeah, having done the pilot program for Golden East um, and then they could see what positive um, impact it had on the girls or the positive outcomes that came from it um, and therefore they were able to sort of allocate some funding um, towards it for the program to keep going the following year. Um, yeah, so I, I'm just really grateful that... Um, but like you said, the schools were open to having me in there and um, and it was. It was something really unusual and the girls were so excited to, um, you know, come to school that day because Girl Tribe was going to be on and um, give them something to look forward to, um, time just for them away from the rest of um, school and away from the boys in particular was something that they liked. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And But these days, you know, it's often you find, especially in workplaces, you know, it's it's difficult or seen as, what's the word I want, Un, um, not unethical, <laughs> I'm mm. losing the word, um, discrimin discriminatory if you offer something for, you know, women and not for men, for instance. So did the boys do something else um especially for them at this or was it purely just a thing for girls and the boys just sat in the class do you know what happened with that um i'm not entirely sure what happened i just know that the boys were asking for their own boy tribe yeah <laughs> it's something that i don't specialize in um but yeah like if there was something available for for just the boys to do i think that would be pretty cool <laughs> yeah i think it's so important for both girls and boys you know to have these yeah. opportunities to be heard and and boys particularly um yeah. you know it's much more difficult for them generally to 
you know, speak about emotions or admit mm. to having them or <laughs> anything like yeah. that. So I think it would be, I just think it would be so fantastic if every school had some sort of um, thing implemented like that. So then have you still been doing that this year? Um this year I'm just trying to think where we're at we're at the, the end of the year, of the year yeah <laughs> so I had been <laughs> had been in um, Goulburn South this year um, and did some other workshops and things but I guess the other reason um, why I've started Wild Nature Connection is just to be able to offer um, my services um, to those boys as well so you know and younger children too, younger children and adolescents and be a little bit more um, inclusive because, like you said, I think um, the boys can benefit just as much as the girls in in learning those really important life skills like, yeah, regulation and um, boundary setting and healthy relationships or friendships and identifying feelings and being with difficult emotions and mm. overcoming life challenges and building yeah. resilience. Well, it's something, isn't it, that not many adults are good at. So for kids to have that kind of thing uh, yeah. is fantastic. You've mentioned regulation and being feeling regulated a couple of times, just in case yep. any <laughs> listeners aren't sure what that means. Could you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so I think uh, probably just... Um, feeling calm or the ability to um, work with your nervous system and and come into a calm state is probably a better way to describe it. So, um, yeah, being able to, um, if you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, use things like your breathing or different grounding exercises, tuning into your senses in order to reduce your heart rate be able to breathe more fully um, and just feel a bit more settled and calm and so then your um, yeah your brain's working a little bit better you're not stuck in fight or flight you can um, think a bit more um, rationally mm, yeah okay great so there is lots of ways to achieve that as you said I was recently up at Bundanoon at the Quest for Life Centre doing one of their retreats and mm. one of the things we talked about there was coming to your senses and, and I like the name because you're often told you know you you're not making sense or you know mm-hmm. come to your senses and, and get get back but what they what people usually mean is you know get in touch with reality you you know you're not quite um, making any sense or what have you um, but yeah. what they had with coming to your senses was uh, literally things like like you said, like just take, you know, a couple of deep breaths and all the wording they actually used, which I really, really liked, was to allow a breath mm-hmm. in instead of to yeah. take a breath in. And just that wording, you know, um, made a bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. And then they talked about getting in touch with all of your senses as in your touch. So just knowing, you know, feeling where you were t- sitting on the seat or where your feet were on the floor, for instance, the sense of touch of clothes on your skin, um, the sense of the air temperature, that kind of thing for the touch, and then what could you, in a sense, what could you smell? Is there any taste you could have? What could you hear nearby, far away? You know, what could you see if you looked around the room? All that kind of thing. And we actually did that mm-hmm. uh, coming to senses quite a lot and before each session. And it's quite amazing how just 
a simple thing like that can have such an effect on your nervous system, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it just reminds me of a famous quote from Fritz Perls, who's the godfather of gestalt psychotherapy, and um, his quote is, lose your mind and come to your senses. Uh, so that's a good one to remember. <laughs> that's probably where where they um, probably got it from because uh, one of the people there was a Gestalt therapist. Ah. Not that I remember. I don't really yeah. remember what that is. So perhaps you can remind me what Gestalt therapy is compared to other therapies. Yeah, oh, I struggle with this question. <laughs> um, but basically we're, we work in the here and now. So um, whatever um, needs dealing with at the time, we believe we'll sort of come up and be quite present um, through the different investigation that we do through different questioning and tuning into the body Um, and then we work with that um, we call it a figure of interest um, work with the figure of interest and um, yeah allow you allow that to go through the full cycle of experience so um, yeah I, I struggle to sort of, yeah, just put it into to everyday um, language. But it's basically, yeah, working working in the here and the now, whatever comes up between you in a relational way. So um, it's a, yeah, a humanistic approach to psychotherapy. So, mm. um, yeah, rather than the therapist just being a mirror that might reflect back to the client um, or being totally objective. Um, as humans, there's, there's always some subjectivity. So, um, yeah, as a gestalt therapist, I believe in just um, uh, acknowledging that and bringing that into the, into the conversation. Mm. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. So uh, one of the other things that you said you had trained in was youth mentoring. I don't think we've mentioned that. So whereabouts did you do the youth mentoring and what did that involve? Yeah, um, so I did the youth mentor training with um, an organisation called Shine From Within. Um, They're Australian-based, but they've um, trained many different youth mentors um, all over Australia and internationally now. Um, Yeah, so I highly recommend their youth mentor training. Um, And I'll actually be doing, I'm doing a four-week online nature connection series. Um, for their online academy starting in January, actually. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to be working with them coming up in the holidays. Oh, that's fantastic. So without whatever, I'm not sure what you can give away, but what sort of things are you planning on doing with that, if you can tell us a bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'll be introducing the um, folks that are in the online academy um, to different nature connection practices. So... Um, sit spots is going to be one of the things um, and bird language is another thing uh, nature journaling and seasonal calendars um, and some resourcing a bit like we we're talking about the regulation um, some different um, practices to support them in that too so um, yeah I'm really excited about that yeah, congratulations <laughs> it's amazing so tell me more about a sit spot yeah, so um, I guess it's like, for me, it's the ultimate nature connection um, practice and, and one that I practice uh, nearly every day. Um, I've generally got my dog Med beside me, um, but it's just a practice of finding a place 
um, in nature. I'm lucky I do have access to um, quite a bit of space where I live, but it can be as simple as um, sitting in your backyard and with a tree or the garden or something around you. Um, yeah, generally the best sit spots are um, on the edge of two ecosystems. So it might be where like the forested area meets an open paddock or maybe where there's a bit of a body of water or a creek or a dam or something. Um, and it's really just sitting down, being very quiet, um, sitting down and observing like we were talking about with all your senses um, and just really taking everything in. And it's so interesting, um, you know, you generally need to spend sort of 10 to 15 minutes in that place before um, the rest of the environment around you comes back to a normal state of functioning and so that's when you'll start to see things like um, yesterday I had a hare hop right up like maybe within five metres of me or start to notice the birds or different things around in your environment that you would not always um, be aware of. Um, yeah, so I could keep going on about sit spots for, oh, no, it's for really... another whole hour. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I often will go out thinking, oh, go and spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes and an hour or an hour and a half later, um, I'm still there. <laughs> oh, That's great. I, I find it really interesting. Um, why, what is it about being at the edge of the two ecosystems? What, what does that have to do with it making it a better sit spot? Um, generally it's where you might find a bit more um, animal interactions or encounters so um, whether it's um, animals moving from one area to another or with the water coming in for a drink um, yeah, and there's different spots you can look for um, within natural environments like game trails and things like that that might um, mean that if you set up in that area um, you're likely to see a bit of action <laughs> if something happens. <laughs> so, <coughs> pardon me, what kind of, um, apart from the hair running up to you, what kind of other exciting action have you seen on your sit-spot times? Yeah, oh gosh. Um, I've had like uh, different wallabies or kangaroos sort of, I've come to come to realise that their sight must be pretty poor. They're very good at smell so you need to position yourself according to the wind that's blowing at the time but yeah I've had a mother um, wallaroo and her joey come sort of right up behind me um, or hop right along in front of me I've seen um, a fox chasing a hare and the hare sort of standing up on its back legs and trying to entice the fox to chase it probably away from its young is generally the case. Um, yeah, oh, there's been so many things. Um, just recently I've discovered um, six different bird's nests of five different species um, within like three trees that are all next to each other. So watching, watching birds build their nests or parents feeding their young, um, or um, hawks coming in to try and eat the babies or 
It's just like National Geographic, basically, yeah. but you don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a bit like, you know, David Attenborough special. And, yeah. But I suppose overall the effect is, you know, I mean, it sounds like quite fun and, and amazing to see these animal interactions, but the overall, I guess, mm, benefit, benefit is sort of like, it's almost yeah. like a bit of a meditation or how would you describe yeah. it? Yeah, for me, it's, um, yeah, it just really recharges me. Um, I can go out feeling like if it's the end of the day and I'm quite tired and um, feel like I need a nap, if I go out and sit in one of my sit spots, um yeah, it totally um, recharges me. Um, just that connection to the natural world and that feeling like I'm part of it, um, something something that's bigger than me. Um, and for me, it's almost like building a friendship or relationship either with the land um, and the trees and the fauna that's around um, or particularly the birds. Um, and you start to notice um, who's in what area at what time. Um, you might notice uh, different flowers popping up, native flowers at certain times of the year and the vegetation changing through the seasons. And, um, mm. yeah, you just start to really get a sense for the rhythm of, of nature and its cycles. Yeah, because we really have generally lost that connection or well Mm. we've never had it i suppose as in individually but humanity as a whole uh depending on where you live has lost that sort of connection with nature to realize the the what actually goes on in the cycles i mean we can tell the Mm. seasons although i don't know whether we can tell them anymore with the bizarre weather they're all a bit messed up (laughs) but uh that that daily and yeah or yeah. And seasonal kind of like rhythm and and seeing how things change and like you said feel that you're part of the natural world because there's such a big disconnect uh for most people in that because they may not spend either zero time in nature like you were saying yeah. those sort of years that you spent um and or they might only just maybe they go for a walk around the block you know once a day something like mm. that but to sit is is so foreign to a lot of people to, to basically sit and do nothing uh, yeah. because we're always, you know, uh, I mean, as growing up, you know, my grandmother would be saying, you know, idle hands make the devil's work or whatever. You know, you always had to be doing mm. something and we were uh, not encouraged to sort of sit and do nothing. Um, and I think that that it's a really important thing to do just to, yeah. to sit and be and not feel guilty at the time that you're wasting your time and you should be doing something more useful, which I think happens particularly to a lot of women, um, that we sort of have this, you know, vague general unease that we need to be um, busy and helping others and doing things. So to take that time can feel yeah. a bit selfish, but I think it's really important for the self, hey? Yeah, and that's why, um, you know, for some people it is really challenging and having a a mentor or someone that can help facilitate that step-by-step or in a way that feels safe and right for that particular person is really helpful and it means that you can start putting practices in place that are sustainable for you and work within your your life and your lifestyle so Mm. um, having support to do that and it really wasn't that long ago you know um, 
hundreds a hundred years ago or something where we were much more connected to to nature's rhythms and and lived off the land and mm. and if you just look at indigenous peoples all over the world and their relationship to the to the living and the natural world um yeah i know that that's what I look to for guidance as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jess, um, sadly we're a bit out of time on this afternoon's show on SFM in the Women's Room. But thank you for joining us. And if people are interested in, you know, connecting with you at all to find out perhaps about working with you or anything else, what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, it's gone so fast. Thanks so much, Cass, for having me. But, um, yeah, you can find me. Um, my website is wildnatureconnection.com. And um, there's a special offering called Nourished on there at the moment for any women that might need a bit of extra nourishment. Um, or girltribegolden.com is another um, way to find out some more information about that particular program. Um, and, yeah, you can always find me on... Um, I'm not great at social media, but, yeah, I am on there. Um mm. But, yeah, website's probably the best or feel free to um, give me a call or email me um, and my contact details are on, on both those websites as well. Yep, fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much, Jess, for joining me. Um, we'll just have a little bit of music to go up to the news and then we'll have Rod coming in for our early afternoon drive. So thanks for listening on SFM and I'll see you next week. Bye, Jess. Thanks, Kath. Jenny